Welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I am the DJ, and with me today I have the Professor. Hello. And I have uh, back from a long, 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 long sabbatical, Devi Boy. I have returned, citizens. <laughs> and for the first time, uh, Stephen from XCT and Comics to Movies. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, so. Can, can you believe it? This is a hundred after 125 episodes, and this is the one episode where I boomered. How did it, you boomer it? I forgot to put the show notes in. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> is this the first time in 125 episodes? Yep. This is the first time in 125 episodes I just boomered. <laughs> so um, I don't know what I'm paying you for. <laughs> anyways, let's get the show on the road first. So... Uh, Debbie Boy, you've got a story about Pokemon Snap. Yes. Okay, so let's just go off the start that Nintendo is hitting, like, they're doing their all-star team this console generation for the Switch. I mean, the Wii U, there was um, Mario Party and um, Zelda, there was a Zelda, and um, <laughs> there was Zombie U. There was Zombie U, that, that was amazing. Oh, yeah, great. But no, the Switch, they're just blowing out of the water. And now they've suddenly come out and said, after finally almost 20 years, a new Pokemon Snap is coming out. Um, so that, like, it's just reveals to trailer. There's not much info around. Apparently, there's going to be more diverse array of Pokemon and environments, as you expect for a game, you know, from this current generation. But, like, I mean, can we just, for a second, just just focus in on the, the, the insane idea of Pokemon Snap is? Because, you know, you go back to mid-90s. And Pokemon's coming out, it's like, it's a high of its storm right now. And people are like, oh my god, a Pokemon game? They should make one for the you know, Nintendo 64. Oh, the graphics be made. Oh, 3D polygons. And I don't know how it happened, but someone up in the tent was like, hey, how about no, but yes. <laughs> instead, let's just have so the kids have to take photos of Pokemon. That, who cares about the RPG element? Like, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, they went down that line, they brought it out, and I mean, everyone's been baking. It's become a cult classic in itself. Um, it's like that weird Pokemon game in the Pokemon franchise is off to the left that everyone wants to play but can't get access to. Um, so it's great news that they're coming back with, I think it's a remake. They haven't really revealed, as I said, there's still, it's just an announcement trailer. There isn't much information out there. Everything's quite sparse. So I, I think it's, it's probably more, it's not really a remake, it's more a reimagining, I say. Like, uh-huh. No update. Okay. Well, it looks like it's going to get a bit dark. That magic card got straight up yoinked by the <laughs> no, video. I mean, okay, in the original game, you could do things like throw apples at a Charizard and make him fall in lava. True. I mean, it, it, it had some dark humor here and there. You could throw a Pokemon. Oh, I forgot the name. Please don't kill me. I, I, I'm sorry. Um, the Pokemon, which uh, electric type Pokemon, you throw you throw um apples at it, and it just suddenly explodes and combusts. Yes. Oh, so in, it, uh, That's like that's it. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Straight up Pokemon murder. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> hey, that's kids. like going out and shooting a uh, a lion so you can get a nice photo. Well, you should. Be able to, I guess yeah, but at the same time you're throwing candy at it. So I mean, <laughs> uh see, that's interesting though. They're bringing back an IP that has been dead for a long time and. And sort of mutating it a bit. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, because Nintendo, 
like obviously in the last couple of generations since they're doing a different approach now because obviously before the older games they were released on the virtual console but i mean now they don't have it anymore well to, you know they got the um paid description little drip feed but not how it used to be um so it seems like the current approach is just to take old game ips and remake them which i mean i'm not going to complain uh, especially <laughs> for pokemon snap considering how like Oh, it was such a like I love Pokemon Snap, but that, if you, that's not evident yet, I love it. It's just such a it's it's such a casual game. You just, you plop plop it on, a couple of minutes, enjoy it, then you turn it off. Like it's just a really easy one to play. Um, but like uh, like what was it? Literally like the week the Wii U was like the month or the week or something. Like it's so long ago, I can't hardly remember it. But like it was about to die. Like the Switch just came out. The Wii U's platform like okay, and it was like yep, it's all over, it's all over, man. They released Pokemon Snap, literally, when everyone's jumping ship to the Switch to release it on the virtual console for the Wii U. So everyone's like, what are you doing, Nintendo? But no. So uh, I'm literally looking forward to see what more comes of this. And it'll be interesting to see the developments. But it's uh, last of them released a little reveal trailer. And uh, keep it up, basically. Just just keep giving us this kind of content, Nintendo, please. See, uh, like I said, this is, it's an interesting year with Pokemon this year. Like, they've... Not only released this game, but they also released Pokemon Unite. Yeah, that was mm. the mo- well, mo- Is it out yet? I Pokemon think, Unite. I just want to try it out. I, I saw I saw a good meme right now, when I was, like a couple minutes ago on Reddit. I was basically like, "This is a fantastic idea. Let's combine the um, toxicity of the Pokemon fan base in some areas with the toxicity of the Delibro fan base, combine <laughs> together and create a you know." <laughs> <laughs> Free to play MMO bubble game. Oh yes. Ah, mm. uh, what do you think, Stephen, with the whole idea though? Oh, I, look, I have to defer to you guys a bit. Look, I I play Pokemon Go with a little bit with my daughter, but I uh, look, I I've heard of Snap, but I haven't really been much involved. So I'm really sorry. I can't give too much input into this discussion. I reckon if you liked Pokemon Go, that Snap would be right up your alley because it's the sort of game where you don't need to really I mean, you got to think, you got to aim at Pokemon and throw the apples and stuff so they get the best shots. Because it's all about getting pictures. Um, yep. But it's not it's like. Just a glorified rail, uh, rail shooter. Pretty much, yeah. It's Except just a glorified rail shooter. Killing. Yeah. And I mean, for Pokemon oh. Go and stuff, that's it's really more accessible than, um, I would say, the mainline series. Even though those are, those are accessible, but like just anyone can play Pokemon Snap. You don't need to be good at games, even. Okay. That sounds good. Oh, look, I'm, I'm sorry. I really don't know much about that. <laughs> it's all good. Really. Uh, I do know, like, I have heard of it, but it's something like 20-something years ago when it first first got released. That's that's the only thing I... It was released in like the 90s or early 2000s, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like 998. Okay. So, yeah. double check a year. 1999. Wow, so that, that's, tw- that's 20 years. That's yeah. 20 years back. <laughs> 20 years, boys. 21st of March, 1999. Yeah. yeah, boy, I feel old now. <laughs> it's like, where did the time go? Don't worry, mate. It just goes, it just goes more from here. Ah, <laughs> uh, but um, like I, I, I can see the, I can see the potential with this with Pokemon Snap on the um, Pokemon Snap on on the Switch, though. I mean, the Switch is very um portable, like versatile with the versatility, and the, you can also use the monitor to maybe. Uh, there's no camera on the Pokemon on the Nintendo Switch monitor, there is there. I don't believe so. I mean, it would have been cool if they made an AR mode like they had in Pokemon Go. Um, 
That would be that would be a neat trick, but obviously the Switch does not have the built-in camera for that to make it accessible. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it would have been cool, but obviously they don't have the hardware, so it wasn't going to happen. But I mean, yeah, the portability of the Switch is like that's the thing. As I said before, like Nintendo is pulling all punches this this generation. They're just Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. You want some Super Smash Bros? Here, have all Super Smash Bros. And now, <laughs> Oh, don't get me started on Super Smash Bros. That was a that E3 conference, oh, <laughs> a nightmare. That drove our former co-host nuts. <laughs> <laughs> it drove him so mad we it, that he decided to run. Oh, uh, and we never ever saw him ever again. Oh, but yeah, like Mario Odyssey, Pokemon, Pokemon games, Pokemon Snap. Um, just, just all their first-party titles. They're just kicking them out, and they not, not, not rushing them. They're all pretty damn good. Um, here's the obviously, problem. Here's yeah? the problem, though. Like with the with the Pokemon games at this point, like at this point, they're just like cash grab. I mean, nah, in yeah, there's some ways. I think it's a deeper issue than that. See, Pokemon franchise itself. I saw some statistics and stuff, some doc research reports that were done up. And see, Pokemon franchise itself, it's the biggest IP in existence, right? Yeah. Now, the games, I can't remember the exact statistics, so don't at me on this, but the games only make up like a 10, 15% amount of the actual revenue just generated by it, right? The anime makes even small percentage. Um, but the main thing that all the money comes from is merchandising, right? So. While Game Freak, they should employ more people, I definitely bet, they can't delay their games much because that would stuff up the merchandising, right? Because it's all about, you got to generate those new Pokemon designs to keep up interest. So they've got less flexibility than it actually seems on the surface. At least that's my hypothesis. Yeah. But like, like the actual mainline games, I recommend, they, they really do need to innovate it a bit, I feel. It is getting pretty stale. That, and they need to um please... Please stop using Gen One nostalgia. I, I it's been fun, but um, I am. I Gen am. Four, please, please, can I have some don't, you want, don't you want another uh, Charmander? <laughs> hey guys, it's Charizard. You know Charizard, right? It's Charizard. Hey, mm. Yeah. Um. So uh, I see. I, um. I... Yeah, Stephen has something to say about the merchandise there. Oh no, no! I just popped open a link. Uh, Look at the 25 highest grossing franchises. Um, so Pokemon earned 92 billion dollars last year, of which 61 is from merchandising. So, yep, that was it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, like you said, the video games probably look like got under 20, 20 billion, but it, look at it, it's merchandising is the biggest thing it, uh, by far and away, and it makes sense. Like, if you have, and I, I know one of the people here is from Singapore. If you go into Singapore, there's a whole store where you can get basically a plush of whichever Pokemon you like. So oh, yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah, pretty yeah, cool. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like it is insane. Like there, there is, I think, a Pokemon cafe as well at my end. Uh, when when I last went there, and there was a Pokemon exhibition at um, one of the attractions there. I'm like. What the hell? I mean, when a franchise gets big, you could basically live your life with Pokemon. You could. You t- you can't be in the games, but you could live your life. Do you want a Pokemon sandwich maker? You we've got that. Do you want Pokemon shoes? We've got that too. Do you want bed seat beds? Bed sheets? We've got that. Pokemon shampoo? Oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> want to smell like Pikachu? Here you go, Pikachu shampoo. 
<laughs> Pikachu, uh, what is it? Pikachu perfume. Mm. <laughs> smell like a Charizard. <laughs> what would that even smell like? Oh, no. <laughs> Dragon breath and rotting meat. No, probably cr- probably crusty flames as well. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that that that's that that would that, that would sp- smell so bad. <laughs> I mean, okay, don't give any ideas because they're in the region of the Star Wars, so. And uh, speaking of all things bad, uh, Professor, you've got a story about Apple smelling bad. I do. Apple is now um, having a lawsuit filed against them about loot boxes. Uh That old chestnut. (laughs) But uh, the complaint filed with the U.S. District Court in the Northern District of California alleges that Apple is complicit in promoting gambling and addictive behavior. (laughs) The... um, yeah, the complaint compares it to tobacco's Joe Camel advertising campaign because the whole idea behind loot boxes, they reckon, is to get kids addicted to gambling. Oh, God. <laughs> Can I say this is a long, long time coming for mobile games at this point? It's a long time coming for all games. Mm. I mean, so this is specifically targeting the App Store, am I right? Yeah. 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 Yes, because they um they want to basically sue Apple for allowing these onto their app store. Mm. Since Apple obviously is extremely draconian about what is allowed on an iPhone. Yeah. Which I mean, makes, I mean, it sort of makes sense. It doesn't make sense. Cause I thought they would probably go after Google play as well. Cause Google play, I mean, they're, they're, they're so lax in their rules. Yeah. There's, there's... I think Apple's going to win this one though. It, Apple has a really easy out because um, there's a parental control feature on the Apple iPhone or whatever Android device or whatever, which basically stops microtransactions. No in-app purchases. You can just click mm. that off. Yeah, and, and I fa- believe they only added that after they were sued in another class action. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but the fact that they have it now means, hey, guess what? Uh, your kid spends his whole allowance buying, uh, you know, uh, a new skin for whatever game he's playing on. Guess what? You allowed that to happen. You should have clicked that little button that says that's that's stopped. Um, I'm I'm a bit look. I've got a little bit of a um. You've got it as much as they are predatory behavior of corporations, and let's let's not discount that. In the end of the day, you still got to say no. And if your kid is not in a position to say no, and look, I've got a daughter, and I, I know for a fact if I let her run wild with uh, with an iTunes card, it's gonna get spent. You know that same day. Hence why you said. You're not going to install anything until you ask for the password. And I'm only going to give you the password if I, feel, if I feel it's the right purchase. Or I'm going to turn off all in-app purchases before I let you play with any of your games. There's a little bit of self-accountability you can have rather than just going, you know what? It's Apple's fault. Let's go after the big corporation. You know what I mean? I, I, I see that it's not quite right all the time where you take away personal accountability. That's why stuff like that does annoy me a little bit because it takes away the accountability of somebody to say, "Hey, guess what? The tools are in place to prevent this, for prevent me from, from you know, losing all my money on Candy Crush, but I still choose to do so." I mean, this is this is the conflicting battle which takes place with the cow. Uh, rules and regulations aren't designed for the modern age still majority because I mean, uh, back in the day, the applications that were designed right for use were. Uh, obviously offline, and the company would highly check them before release. Um, 
especially with old game console manufacturers, not Atari, but Nintendo was notorious for their um, brutal practices and making sure quality products get through until they decide not to, a little bit into Nintendo NES's life. But like these days, because of that, just the amount of products that constantly keep being released, platforms, I mean, this is what YouTube faced a while ago. Um, different thing to the predatory practices of loot boxes, but um, people uploading the music and full videos and movies and stuff to YouTube. And obviously the corporation's like, hey, what are you doing here? Um, so that's when they brought in their, the content ID system, which, I mean, for all its faults, it stopped them from being lawsuits in the ground. And, I mean, actually, a more relevant one of YouTube and if those predatory practices of parents and stuff would be how they just got fined over COPA. Because um, of now, or every single YouTube video when you upload it has the um, is this made for children? Is it not made for children? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, I remember that. So I mean, that way, I guess the accountability. Because if you give the child an iPad, they're just gonna watch constantly the iPad and whatever rabbit hole they go down, it's gonna be some rabbit hole. Um, so I, I don't know. I feel I feel it's half and half. I feel the corporation definitely has responsibility. I think. Apple definitely, definitely is in the wrong for allowing these things on the uh, App Store. It, considering, I mean, you can have predatory. I mean, I hate loot boxes in general, but companies will put them in. But I feel obviously the enforcement of it should be both equal with the parent and the company itself. Um, obviously, the company's issue is how do you verify the age? Everyone can lie about the age, and that's the difficult thing. See, oh no! Look, and, and I I agree in that sense as well. But if and again, we'll go back to say hmm. uh, 80s cartoons. One of my yeah. absolute favorite topics. 80s cartoons, uh, 80s, no, not a little bit into the 90s, but mainly 80s cartoons were all predatory uh, in terms of what they were meant to do. They were meant to sell toys. The cartoons. Hmm. It just so happened that some of the cartoons had really great content. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, no, no, no. They were designed first and foremost to sell stuff. Yeah. Exactly. You, you talk to any cartoon, uh, cartoon back in the 80s, story content was always second. It was just, and by the way, some of the stories were fantastic. I don't know if you know, but someone like J. Michael Straczynski, so he's the Babylon 5 guy. He used to write She-Ra. And you've got oh, really? really really big names who actually cut their teeth on 80s cartoons even anyway slide aside because i would say some of the 80s cartoons like transformers had you know some brilliant storylines all the rest of it but you gotta remember you've got the show showing all these really cool robots let's just say then you've got all the ads in between trying to sell you said robots as toys you're an you're a kid watching this you're going man i want those stuff even me as an adult i see some of their transformer masterpieces i'm still going man i still if i had the money and more disposable income i'm buying up but it's you gotta remember that was the only purpose of all those cartoons and all mm. the rest was to sell toys and it just so happened that some of the really good 80s cartoon also just happened to have good content that has transcended you know generations and all the rest of it but on the whole, that wasn't the purpose. It was, hey, look, can we get just enough out to entice the kids to buy stuff? And I suppose that's where now the digital age has come through, where all these microtransactions, loot boxes, um, buying extra lives on Candy Crush and all the rest of it, it's, it's morphed into something different. So it's not like this is totally new. Don't get me wrong. The tech has changed. The platform has changed, but the concept hasn't. 
it's basically still saying, what's the best way we can market? I'm going to give you the game for free, but damn it, I'm going to recruit my cost from the game from you somehow. What, but what, what, just, oh, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, What's changed is the is the direct line to kids. So back in the eighties, so obviously those were predatory and designed to sell content, right? But at the end of the day, the kid didn't have the credit card and couldn't instantly buy it. It was up to the parents to well, of course, yeah, <laughs> mm, God, little, little five year old Tommy's running around with his credit card <laughs> at the shop, the, the downtown mall. Oh, what's going on there? Um, I'll just take two Optimus Primes, please, and. <laughs> <laughs> No, Timmy, don't do it. <laughs> no, Timmy, um, no. But like the parent was in between, between the kid and the company, right? And in the day, they would hopefully make the end decision on whether or not to get something. Um, these days, though, because of you, you throw the kid the iPad, you got your login details already in there. The kid, there's no that barrier. Like it's either the kid's in there, and the parents like, oh, it's free. Yeah, okay, I'll download that. But if like. Your credit cards already set up in there order to automatically work. You know how you can set up in Android. I don't know about Apple. I haven't used Apple phones, so I can't. I'm pretty sure it would be. Um, yeah, you so, can set up for, for auto. You, like this, yeah. the, the, the big three settings are um, password to buy free, password to buy paid, um, password to buy microtransactions, and I think that's one more. But there's a couple. The main settings are there. So, you you know, the key can go don't go nuts with free games, but may not be able to do a microtransaction. So they, okay. Apple, has, Apple has set it up so that, and I'm assuming Android has something similar as well, that yeah. you can set up uh, levels of, you know, when you need your password. Hmm. So, I mean, if hopefully, I mean, that's the thing. So that's how it comes into the play of the parents' responsibility in making sure those password systems are set up. But if they don't, then like it's just one button away for them to spend money instead of having to go to the shops, have the parents intervene. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. I think that's what's fundamentally changed about the landscape. I mean, forget about the loot boxes themselves. Of course, they're the thing that entices the kid to buy it. The issue in itself is the, the direct line the kids now have to purchase those items. And it's and like you said, it's a lot easier. If I wanted that Optimus Prime, I would have to wait to go to a toy shop. I have to wait to wait in line. I have to pick it up. I have to have to have cash with me to buy hmm. that Optimus Prime. I want the Optimus Prime skin on my Transformers game. Click, you're done. Yeah, pretty much. And that's the thing, because when you're in, bar, I mean, bars and malls in a way, because when you're in a shopping center and you're there, you're a kid, you've only got this much money, and you're like, oh, look at these other toys I can get. Oh, look at this, that, that. Do I really want this? Mm, but when it's just a button, it's just a big, bright button. It's like, oh, yeah, I press that. Mm. I think it's also a matter of education. Yeah. Yes. We've got... Um, the online nature of online stores has changed so much recently, and companies like Apple and well, Google Play are really taking advantage of people's lack of knowledge about how the stores work, as well as trying to instill gambling behaviors in children. Here's the thing, though, guys. Like, um, I think this might be a big problem for you, Devi Boy and Professor. Uh, as game developers, you guys must you guys must be really afraid when the government starts to come in and go, "Hey, you are not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that." Da 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 da. Like, uh, I can't say I am too concerned. I mean, as a solo dev, I'm not ever putting any microtransactions in the games I'm currently creating. So, like, I feel it's from my perspective, it's the industry had it coming. They couldn't regulate themselves, so they're gonna have to be regulated for them. So yeah, I, I don't personally feel i honestly i'm glad the government's getting involved because it's not good 
it's not the game developers themselves, well, not usually the game developers or game designers wanting to put these predatory practices in. It's the companies and the people at the boards who want to make more money. Yeah. And by doing that, it usually overrides the design principles that the game designers were put, wanting to do for the game. Um, but, but it also adds in another layer of bureaucracy, though. Like, you've got the games company bureaucracy, then you've got the um, government bureaucracy to deal with, and then, like, oh, where, well. does it, where does it end, the bureaucracy? Yeah. Like, but Never. Just touch, on the, touch on the gambling component as well. It's, mm. again... Uh, the big thing that has changed in the digital landscape is just the convenience of it. And I think you've absolutely hit that nail on the head, you know, because if you look back at, again, I'm just comparing back to say the eighties and nineties, you still had the basketball packs, you know, you still had the, mm. um, uh, if anybody remember, magic, I, was, I think it's still going pretty strong, the magic, the gatherings, you know, oh, where yeah, Pokemon cards and stuff. Oh, Pokemon That's still absolutely yeah. huge. You open the right, it's, that is the exact same equivalent as a, a loot box. You open mm. the right pack, you find yourself the shiny Charizard, bam, 300 bucks there, or whatever it is worth now, you, you know. And it's instant cash. And there's a lot, a lot to be said about loot box. You open a rare item or whatever, and especially if you have a game that allows you to trade. Um, like, for example, I think... Um, like, for example, Hearthstone um, doesn't allow you to trade. The Blizzard game doesn't allow you to trade. And it, it goes through a different microtransaction type of model. But in most games where it does allow you to trade or does allow you to sell, man, it, it's, it's, you know, you know, it's exactly the same as loot boxes. It's opening the right pack, finding the right card, or finding the And um, the other thing would be is if you look at a lot of the kids' toys now, even targeted at little girls, you've got um, those uh, blind boxes, which are very, very popular. Mm. They want the ultra rare little little unicorn. Man, you're gonna buy 50 packs to find that ultra rare mini unicorn, that the shiny one. Why is it different? Because it's it's shiny. And you know, those you just, blind boxes yeah. are absolutely abysmal for the amount of packaging. Oh yeah, I know. Look, have you seen LOL surprises? <laughs> yeah. Oh look, oh. I, I've got I've got a daughter. Uh, I, oh yeah, fair uh, enough. I, yeah. I, I, uh, look, oh, man, you got to open that up, open that up, and then you got this plastic case at the end of it. But it is what it is, you know. What I mean, yeah. it's so none of it has actually changed over time. It's basically pure convenience, and because it's so convenient now, I, I'm look, I'm fifty fifty on this because it's so convenient and it's so easy. It might be right for the government to step in. Or it might be wrong for them to step in because if they step in, then they might start going. You know what? Magic, magic cards. I need to regulate that too. And then mm. it becomes at where do you draw the line of regulation? Because that's the issue. I mean, um, it becomes that slippery slope. Okay, um, these particular loot boxes because it's so convenient. I'll step in. OLs which have the limited edition girl with the shiny hair. I won't step in for that. And then you got the case going. Well, now it's a little bit of a double standard just because one is packaged one way and one is packaged the other way you know what i mean it, it, it it's a whole oh yeah, by yeah. the way i'm not i'm not i'm not trying to say i have the answer i really don't but it's no, don't any of us do. at what point does it make sense at what point do you step out of stuff and look my, my my main thing would be the less government bureaucracy you have the better better life gets but at a certain point is if you let corporations go wild yeah they're capitalistic they're out to make money so you it, you got to get that line through where they can still make money, but they're not totally, totally predatorial. 
Yeah, it's about the uh, company self-regulating, which most industries are awful at doing. And I, mean, I would, the games industry is not any better. <laughs> I mean, I would feel more towards the side of not wanting the government in if it was evident that the companies were trying at least. But like when EA goes up into in front of the you know European UK's gambling board and says, no, 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 they're not loot boxes. They're surprise mechanics, guys. They're <laughs> like Kinder eggs. It, it just, it's just, it's, it's just a whack in the face. So well, like. I- and then the EA's um, CEO saying, oh, loot boxes are like baseball cards, you know? <laughs> yeah, sure, the- they've got the whole gambling aspect, but no one's going bankrupt buying Kinder Surprise eggs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you want... Okay, interesting fact, guys. Right. In America, the, the with the Kinder Surprise, no yeah, toy. Banned. Yeah, yeah they're to- no toy. <laughs> so you get the chocolate egg. Can- they're illegal, not yeah. the chocolate. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, America has a thing where you're not allowed to have any small objects inside food. So, technically, Kinder Eggs get classified under that. But that's a, that's a different topic. But yep. <laughs> the point being, yeah, I mean, the issue is where you draw the line. And I don't think anyone really knows where you will. Because it's Pandora's box, really. The I think the line itself is going to be difficult to draw. But as the game companies, have the, they have the choice right now whether or not it is opened. And right now they're not they they are they're bringing that key straight into the hole. So I think I think I think that's very silly of them. I, just from a yeah. uh, you know from an outsider standpoint, because like most things in life, it will flip flop. Uh, mm-hmm. Generations will flip flop. Uh, one generation may be like let's say back in the eighties. I'm talking just America for this instance. America's eighties yeah. was that you know the stock market, the high rollers where greed is good. Uh, holding golden gecko you know um that had that whole mentality now it's shifted a little bit more where you know what uh lives matter and in in, in most cases as generations move through it, that that particular line that you're talking about will shift left and right and it's human nature and as generations go through people want to be different from the generation before so that's why that line will keep moving back and forth saying that though there has to be a line and if Exactly like you said, if the video game companies don't draw up some sort of code of ethics where they at least are perceived to be in the best interest of the consumer, then government will step in and regulate through. Um, and the thing that I don't get, I, and you've heard, you've look, I don't, I don't have to give you a specific example because you've heard the horror stories where they release games which aren't, aren't finished yet and you have to buy the add-ons to complete the game. And it's becoming commonplace now. Um, Use, I'll use Diablo as as the the thing. Uh, Don't you guys have phones? Don't you guys have phones? Different reference. What do you mean? But... <laughs> yeah. Different reference, I but I wouldn't be surprised if that uh, phone Diablo had abysmal microtransactions as well. Oh no, it, it did. And but the whole point would be it's and and don't get me started. Diablo used my favorite franchise, and they butchered it. But let's not get too far down that track. But the whole point would be it's that you need that balance, but the balance. In my in my point of view, always has to favor the consumer, always. And mm. at the end of the day, you have to protect the consumer. And if that's the case, where the line gets drawn, man, draw the line that way, protect the consumer. That that's that's why you know. But but to to be fair, um, I don't have the answers. I just can't. I've just got an opinion, which good or bad, it it is what it is. Yeah, I, I think I think I mean I don't know. The political spectrum has changed. Let's not get in that argument. But what I'm going to say is like if. 
back when the violence in video games thing got big in the 90s and they had to, they brought in the regulations. At least this is just America, Australia, every country did their own thing, but I mean, this is the big one everyone points at. When you had the regulation come in, the government got involved, video games going too violent, there was no rating board, and basically it was like, well, hey, game industry, if you don't do something, we'll come and regulate it for you. And they had the hearings and stuff, and that's what the, uh, all that bureaucracy is what created the ESRB. And then from the ESRB creation, the government stepped back. So if there was a similar process to that for what's probably going to happen, I, I'll be in for favor for that. Because basically, like, okay, we're going to make it so you can't sell any games to anyone until you develop a system to prevent yourselves from doing bad. And, and you've given a really good example about that because um, back to that rating system, I love it. I, I absolutely love ratings in movies because guess what? Um, I, I like horror. I'm, I'm a big girl. I'm, uh, I like the more subtle horror, but you know, I'm a horror fan. I would absolutely hate it if they went, you know what, you guys can't, you guys are horrible at regulating yourself. So guess what? No more horror movies ever, ever again. I would much prefer the system as it is now. Man, you need to be 18 or 21 or whatever to watch this movie and we'll advise you of all the, all the, you know, this is horror, blood, gore, whatever it is, and we'll tell you all the stuff that's in it and you need to be a certain age to buy it. I, I love mm. that because it gives the consumer the choice then to go, you know what, I'm a sucker for these type of movies. I'm going to watch that. But it also prevents the people who, let's face it, a 12-year-old kid would love mm. to watch some movies out there which they shouldn't watch. It prevents them who can't make a moral judgment yet to watch those things. Instead of saying no to everybody, it's, hey, let's get a system in place where it's fair or it's a fair system for everybody. Yeah, that's the thing, because, I mean, they have done something, I guess. I mean, the issue with the ESRB, I mean, it works really well, but it is regulated by big AAA companies. So they have to bend the will of them somehow. So, like, they did an update where it said if the game has in-app, well, I can't remember exactly, but it, they changed the tiling to say game may include uh, microtransaction stuff inside the tag listing now. Um, it, it, it's it's a little bit, but it's just not there yet. It, it, seems bit, it needs more, because the point being, if there's a very easy way to see that this game includes loot boxes, it doesn't even be a big sticker, but if it's part of the rating itself, it says, this game includes loot boxes, right? Oh, it covers yeah. the... Yeah, and that, that, that should be enough. Yeah, yeah um, it, it covers the ass of the game company, because they... Okay, they want to add loot boxes, go right ahead. But it's there, you can see it, you know what you're getting yourself into. If you're blind don't want to read it, then it's your own fault. And I think that's probably the best middle ground. I actually reckon we should go a step further. And um, there's something China does, and it's very rare that I'll say we should do what China does. But in China, you have to submit a uh, basically the loot table for your loot boxes and oh. uh, tell, reveal the odds. I think anything gambling should have to reveal the odds so you can't be conned into... I like that, um, yeah. Yeah. So, like, is a little sheet that basically everyone, every single game comes with? Uh, I think it's just submitted in government documents. I see. But mm. it is a, uh, yeah, it well, is actually, a document that's available. Let, let's build on that. Instead of making part of the ESRB rating, make a new rating, right? Just, just a small one, you combine them both together. But basically, based off the percentage win rate, that those that that uh table brings up right you can have different categories so you have this game contains loot boxes 
of color green, which means pretty simple, not too predatory, just a bit of fun. They have yellow where it's like, uh, then red where it's, uh, then black where it's like, this game is seriously addictive. Watch out. You have a low chance of winning. Now, that could hurt sales, and it might, but that should force game companies to think more respectively of their player base. Yeah, that would be an interesting uh, idea. I'm not sure of the implementation details. But it, um, I think yeah. I might have it. Give me a second. I think it might be. I, I might be. It might be an old article, but uh, oh, it, it's 2020. Okay. 2020. Wow, that was so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, final thoughts before we uh, move on, because we've had we, this is a good discussion, I'm, and we could have a, a big, big episode about this. Loot boxes, the podcast. <laughs> Loot boxes, the dangers and blessings of society. And I'll just end with Diablo 3 on that. If you guys remember Diablo 3, it came yeah. in with an auction yeah. house. Oh. If you want to talk if you want to talk microtransactions, it came in out of the game, had an auction house where you could sell items you found, legendary items you found, for real dollars, and people could buy said items for real dollars. Oh, you can yeah. buy materials. So they, they got rid of it. They got rid of it early. But if you want to talk pure microtransactions, then it allowed um play to player selling of which i think um blizzard got like 10 percent or something i don't know the numbers but they got a small cut in between every transaction oh, yeah, yeah valve does the same thing for the uh the steam trading cards oh that's crazy though <laughs> i remember warcraft uh, if i recall um someone you can you can pay there are people um that can do mining for you for mining for gold and mana and stuff. Yeah, that's an unsanctioned real world transaction. Yeah. So the idea is you pay someone to go and collect a bunch of gold for you so that you can buy nice gear in the game. But just about every uh every developer out there doesn't like that and wants to shut it down. Yeah. So uh what about you, Debbie Boy? You got any final thoughts before we uh move on? Going quiet. I think nope. uh not really. Not really? No, I think I think I covered most stuff. I think Honestly, this watching keenly at what happens because it's it's a big issue. It's basically the repeat of the, this whole violent video games thing during the nineties. <clears throat> Twenty years cycle, am I right? Um, and I'm pretty sure interested. Jack Thompson is still out there trying to uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying to get video games banned. You could hit people. Um, I think. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know the answers. I've proposed some things this episode, but time will tell, I guess is what I'll say. Time will tell. And uh, speaking of time, we've got, uh, for our next story, uh, European physicists have boldly taken a small step in making a 100-kilometer-long atom smasher. And this won't be built before 2040, by the way. So... This one, this one will launch a tech. This one, this one machine. If I if I find it, it's a thirty meter long straight shot linear collider that will smash electrons into positrons. And such a machine would complement uh, complement the circular LHC, which smashes the counter circulating beams of protons. And this will dwarf the twenty seven kilometer long hadron collider LHC. Oh, well, I see CERN is still at it again. The organization <laughs> is taking us over. Actually, I think you've missed something there, DJ. So the um, the 30-kilometer straight-shot collider was an early design, 
and they've now settled on a bigger one, which is going to be a 100-kilometer circular collider. Ah, thank you, sir. Thank you. So, yeah, that this is going to be interesting. A, a, a bigger, better collider. Oh, I mean, yeah. But just, just a tunneling project for that, right? <laughs> I mean, the, the original LHC was an engineering marvel of its time. Um, still is to some extent, obviously, smashing, you know, atoms together. But this one, like, is a, we've got an image here, um, and it just puts in perspective just how <laughs> huge this thing is. 100 kilometers. Like, <laughs> like this, this will, it's like a blast radius. It, yeah, it goes through a mountain range, a lake, I think under a bit of a city there. Just, just... Yeah, it looks like it contains all of Geneva. <laughs> <laughs> Geneva is the Hydron Collider now. <laughs> if you live in Geneva, you may notice a slightly increased risk of, risk of cancer. This is normal. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. Uh, so, okay, they say here the, the machine will have a major drawback. So as lightweight electrons go around in circles... They radiate copious X-rays and lose energy. So much a machine is in ineffective and limited in its en energy reach. But it uh, has a big practical upside, and that is the tunnel uh, needs could later be used to house a higher up energy proton collider. This is exactly what CERN did with the ha with the um, you know, uh, large hadron collider which was nice. built in the existing tunnel dug for the Large Electron-Positron Collider, which ran from 1989 to 2000. So they're going to build a 100-kilometer-long tunnel with a basic machine and then build a better one later yep. on. Yep. This is future-proofing, future <laughs> eh? So, I mean, that, that makes sense, considering that this is not going to be cheap. Yeah. Can you like you know what was funny though? Like when we were young, when when I heard about this, when I heard about the Large Hadron Collider, when I was a, when I was younger, they always thought like, oh, this could be the key to uh, key to opening up a black hole. This we might this this might sink the. Sink wait, the wait, wait, what, what, what timeline are you on? <laughs> Two thousand. What world line? What, what what world line is this? I thought there was <laughs> black holes being generated. Obviously, switching on the Large Hadron Collider is what shifted us into the shit timeline. <laughs> oh, so this isn't the Steins Gate? Oh. Nope. Oh, great. You have to find a way back. Good luck. <laughs> no Psychongru. I'm out. <laughs> It'd be like, oh my god, this is what anime predicted. No! <laughs> it's all coming real, guys. Watch out. <laughs> um, back into the reality, but yeah, though. Like, I mean, the large Psychongru, uh, the original, the current, well, the current collider before this new one gets built, like, it is. It's still, I mean, obviously, like the, the scientific potential from it's still huge. But obviously, the amount of experience they've conducted the last couple of years, you know, the last couple of years, the last 20 years, like they, this upgrade, I think, is necessary to help improve their research potential. Because uh, while there's so many more experiments they will continue to do, they definitely need that higher amount of energy just to push their testing to another level. And uh, it, it, and to compound the situation even more, CERN may also have competition in which physicists in China have similar plans in building big circular colliders. Seems like a little rhythm here. All right. So um, <laughs> so we've okay. So we've basically finished our race. Well, I guess currently finished our race to build the biggest tower in the world. So now it's to build the biggest circle in the world. <laughs> so can we just start 
like instead of a nuclear arms race or anything, just start a race to build the biggest hadron collider and discover the coolest things, please. <laughs> you, you're probably playing with fire there. Like, let's build a, a ten thousand kilometer hadron collider. We're gonna smash each other. <laughs> Five times the speed of light. Oh, oh, we just create a black hole. Oh, the Earth getting sucked in. Oh no, this is what everyone predicted. Why does it sound like a horror movie? It's like, okay, all these corporations are fighting for control. Shh, shh, shh. I'm writing the script right now. <laughs> Steven, I think you need to get get to it first. <laughs> Stars- oh, no, look, look. By the way, I love this stuff. So, um, a lot of the look. I'm an engineer back by background. I what my 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 base degree is an engineering degree, so I love that all the money is getting spent here. I, I just as a slight aside, do you know how much money as part of America's GDP is spent on NASA? A lot of money, if I recall. Oh no, it is nothing. As no, as a percentage of GDP. So let's let's talk not talk dollars. As a percentage of GDP, how much? Just give me a number from zero to one hundred percent of all GDP. Of course, it's not one hundred percent. But from zero to one hundred, how much money do you think is budgeted for NASA? Uh, it's like between one and two percent, I think. Oh, there you go. Point four eight. Oh, Jesus Christ! Whoa, and guess and, how much is goes to military? Oh, <laughs> it's no, no, depressingly and, low. The fact of the matter is that uh, even say CSIRO is cuts all the time. And the thing mm. is, CSIRO is actually one of the few government agencies which actually has earned Australia a crap load of money. They, they oh, invented yeah. the Wi-Fi. Yeah, Wi-Fi exactly. Say. Every time a laptop gets sold, CSIRO gets a royalty. Um, and you Presents. think about all the stuff that um, NASA has, you know, Velcro came from NASA. All the material, like the amount of inventions that come out when you're trying to figure out how to get someone to space is incredible uh, and that's why i love that all the money is being sent here because it's understanding the universe god i, I want i want to know more black hole be damned <laughs> just tell me what <laughs> tell me what you find out before we before we all get sucked in like it's that's why i find it fascinating because for what we know we know nothing we we're, we're john we snow do, yeah we're, we're the john snow of the universe we think we know something, but we really don't. And the fact of the matter is, this is the only way to find out. And that's and that's why, man, if China wants to arms race this... Uh, Steven? And he's died. <laughs> he got too excited. <laughs> he's been sucked into a black hole. It's happening, guys. Run! <laughs> run for it! You run. can't run faster than the speed of light. Oh, <laughs> I'll tell you my well, last story. Gentlemen, was, well, gentlemen, it was nice knowing you. <laughs> See you on the other side. Mm. <laughs> but uh, like I was saying, like, yeah, having China, if China's go for it, then them go for it because the arms race means there'll be more centered for, I mean, CERN's already doing it, but more centered for NASA and other countries to not defund those areas and help keep the, keep well, increase funds actually, because it mean, it, 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 everyone, the world loves arms races, and especially one that is not involving um, deadly forces, which is really good. So, I mean, if that's what happens. That'd be great. But, see, here's a problem with um, with these hadron colliders. By the way, for this one, especially uh, trying to, it's going to cost twenty billion euro just to yeah. uh, get this problem. Can you imagine convincing your governments, convincing the European governments, like, hey? Give us twenty billion dollars. I mean, 
considering the size and scale of this and the potential research um, benefits, I can see that being an alright deal. Obviously, $20 is a lot, but, like, this is no small project. This this warrants that price tag. Ah, uh, but... Can you imagine, like, if we if we get something from the um, from this, what do you? How would you see the future? You reckon uh, we'll, we'll be like, th- th- thank lo- thank God, we'll we'll get it out of coal technology. It's I mean, better. I mean, this stuff is to do with Am's understanding material substances. So I, I, you can't. I'm not a physicist. I'm a game developer, so I don't really know what will come out of it. To be honest. Yeah. Um. There's no black holes, please. But apart from that, <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, understanding the universe more and stuff, that's like key. That's always a great thing, especially for physicists and um, testing theories and stuff, right? This is, this is a good I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Where hey, to spend he's the money. He's uh, here I'm back. again. I'm back. No, no. What I was mentioning is $20 billion is, is nothing. NASA's annual budget is $22 billion. Now, if CERN can get money from every EU nation, man, $20 billion is nothing for, for scientific discovery. And I think I'm going to get on my pedestal here for a little bit. Oh, I good. think that's actually what's been missing for a very, very long time. At having the sake of scientific research purely for the sake of scientific research, which is well-funded and it allows it to happen. Um, having the sake of research to get a commercial product, to get a new drug, whatever it is, it's all good stuff, don't get me wrong. But man, what happened to research for the sake of research? A man. Mm. Uh, Look, if I had 20 billion, it's the us. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. All right, uh, so, so in speaking of the hope for the future, uh, to our final topic for tonight, uh, Dark Horse Comics is coming out with a Cyberpunk 27, 2077 comic book series called Cyberpunk 27, 2077 Trauma Team. So this comic, or so the name implies, would appear to focus on Trauma Team International, which is a known faction in the world of Cyber Team, Cyber, uh, Cyberpunk 2077, that is effectively a combination of paramedics and PMCs. So this comic series is written by Cullen Bunn, um, with art by Miguel Valderrama, and colors by Jason Wardy. So this will be appearing. Um, th- so it'll be appearing that the comic will be the first official piece of Cyberpunk 2077 that folks will will be able to interact with. The video game itself being delayed till November nineteenth. November nineteenth. So the story goes basically, Nadia, an assistant EMT for a privately owned business known as Trauma Team International, is the sole survivor of a failed rescue mission turned shootout. After she agrees to continue work for an upcoming extraction mission, Nadia and her team find themselves in an even more dangerous and life-threatening situation. So this will be it. What do you you reckon, guys? Uh, This is a comic book series. Well, it looks like it was obviously intended to tie in with the... uh... 
once delayed release date, which they're unfortunately not going to make anymore. Oopsies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm always, I'm always a fan of exp- expand the universe stuff. It really helps add to the product. And considering, given uh, you know, CD Projekt Red and this Cyberpunk 27 obviously has a very They've obviously developed a very expansive lore for the game. Obviously, we don't know what that lore is yet, but considering the company and their previous works, I think having this Expand Universe stuff come out, well, originally on the release date, which was the intention, but it helps to ingrain the player in that immersion, which is what they're aiming for, after all. So I think I'm, I'm definitely down for it. See, my gripe when it comes to things like these is just that... Why not just make an expansion game? Or because, like with with like uh, my biggest gripe for this one would be like Avatar: Last Airbender, for example. Like great series in the end, but then they keep releasing all these stuff. It's just it, it keeps like it's like milking the franchise basically. Like they yeah, had... I mean, oh, oh. sorry, I mean the Avatar: Airbender last comics. They're they're a bit fan. I mean, I, I like them. They're a bit fan fictiony. Oh, but yeah, the point yeah. being is like they. I can't like they didn't. I don't think it's really milking it to say it's adding to the gap between Cora. And I mean, I've grown up with series that do this. Barnacle is definitely one. Shout out to your Barnacle fans out there. Um, because Barnacle, do you know anything about Barnacle? Uh, vaguely, no. Okay, so basically, it was was a multimedia franchise. So if you wanted to get the story, you had to buy the games, the books, the music, the comics. The graphic light novels, the toys, of course. Like, you had to... Every single product would only give you a small snippet of the story. You had to then piece it together in your head, how it all ties together. So I'm pretty used to, uh, personally, that products that use other mediums to help tell that story. Because, um, obviously, it's cheaper. So, obviously, here, like, Cyberpunk 77 hasn't... It's not out yet. We don't know really reviews, but it's obviously big. And also, making a small comic, it's a lot more cheaper to get out this small story than it would be to create a whole expansion pack over it. And I, I'm, I guess, I mean, if you put it in perspective, they're probably waiting. They're going to bring out expansion packs. They will, as I already said. But I reckon they're just keeping the great stories for that. Yeah. Uh, so for those who are curious who are Trauma Team International, they're one of the most powerful factions at play in Night City. Your digital home in Cyberpunk 2077. The company provides top-tier medical aid for those who can afford its price. Its employees are also armed and well-trained to combat the various street gangs that lurk around town. You gotta remember, though, from Dark Horse point of view, it's it probably had to pay for the license. So, if if I was Dark Horse, let's say, and I'm I'm you know I'm the editor in chief in Dark Horse, and Dark Horse does buy a lot of licensed properties. They bought Predator, they bought Aliens, they've, you know, they've, they've bought a lot of franchises. So if, say, Cyberpunk uh, 2077 was available, and the license to build stories off that, where, guess what, the marketing, I don't have market as much anymore, because guess what, the game is going to market my comic for me. I would be, yeah, sure, sell me the license, I'll buy it, happy to write some stories about it. So it's a bit of... They help each other out. You know what I mean. So I think that I, if as as long as they get a good writer, a good story, good art, you know, make a good quality product rather than just, hey, look, I'm going to bank off the game. I think that'd be fun. I'm all for it. I I'd like to see uh, more stories come out. So 
from your because you you yourself are a comic book writer and Terra Olympus. Um, so how would you, if you were were given the job of writing up a Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven story, what would you write? Let's say. Look, it would de- it would depend. Like, um, look, I've I've got a depends on what Bible they handed you, and uh, and you mentioned that uh, uh, Debbie Boy and Professor here are both video game um creators, so. You, you know what the idea of the Bible is, which is basically you have all the characters' info in there. Whether or not it gets revealed, you've got the whole plot line in there. Um, with cyberpunk, there's a lot of different themes you can play. You know, you can play the uh, transhumanism theme, you know, how much is a human soul worth as opposed to because you can digitally move to machines, you've got corporations. I would basically take one of those themes and just have fun with it. You know, take the factions, take one of the the dystopian te- themes and kind of mesh together a, a relatable character. And yeah, I, there's a lot of good stories they can tell. Even if all they were given, all, if all Dark Horse was, was given was the game Bible to work off, I'm sure they have, could have a lot of fun with it. And I mean, like, this game has a lot of hype. And for them, the position they're in now, like, they're going to make a lot of money off this. And it's not a, not a bad thing, of course, because they've built up this world, this story. and it just makes perfect sense for them as well as from a narrative point of view, as well as a business point of view to do this because it is such a perfect opportunity to help bring players into this world, especially those that perhaps don't have the money to buy into the actual game itself. Even for like few that don't, they're not in a position. They could buy this comic. It's probably $10, right? And get a, get an idea for what the world will offer. Definitely. And back onto your avatar comment. I'm sorry, I'm a big. I I, I love uh, Korra not as much, but I, I look the last Airbender was the one of my, one of my yes. favorite series. Yes, someone agrees with me. I oh, did I've I've, oh. I've, met, I've met a lot of friends. I, I've got like, I've got some friends. They say Korra is better than uh, Korra like, is better. No, <laughs> it's so uh, we could have they, a. No, I, I think Cora is a little bit low. It's not the fault of the creators. It's the fault of Nickelodeon being Nickelodeon. But <laughs> I reckon I reckon they're even. But continue on. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm happy to hear. Look, I, look um, the main thing would be, and those Dark Horse comics that came afterwards, they actually had a lot of blessing from the original producers. Um, and the one thing I did like about it is it lets you fill in the gaps, which the story never touched on. What happened to his mum? Because you remember, a lot of the plot points in the last Airbender had to deal with their parents. So you've got um, the main antagonist, Zuko's dad. The main what happened to her was Zuko's mom. You had, um, what's my Katara and Soka both growing up with their grandparents. You you know, you've got all this parental conflict. And I suppose it's a little bit comic booky that they have to kill the parents off quite a lot of times. But the one thing that I think uh, Korra moved away in terms of themes from there is they didn't have to deal with the parental themes anymore. Uh, Korra actually had to deal with more, uh, let's just say, more adult themes, if you yeah. will. So the, the, although there was racism and stuff dealt in Last Airbender, it was a lot more pronounced in Korra. So, and in Korra, you got to see a lot more depression as well. Like, I think in, again... If you're listening to this and you haven't watched it yet, this isn't a big spoiler. But there's the whole Korra depression arc, which I think they did really well. But it being a kid's cartoon, like, you know, where the characters are literally kids, you can't talk about depression with that. 
Nickelodeon, I'm really surprised, actually let Cora get depressed. And, and I think that was actually a bigger shock than the whole, um, um, you know, the ambiguous ending, in case people haven't seen it, I won't, I won't touch on that point between basically Cora and another main character. That one, and you, you know, 50-50 on that, Talking about Korra's depression, man, that's a bold move by Nickelodeon to let that one through. What do you think, uh, Debbie Boy? Since I know you like Korra better, but that's a bold move, the whole depression part. You don't see that in kids' cartoons. No, no, definitely not. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you there. I agree with that. I mean, Korra has its like, has some flaws, but they, they did, the, they did make like, um, some, some angles like really well, like the whole, um, Cora going through the the part that she was poisoned and the whole episode. Yeah, I like I like Cora. I like Avatar's Bender more, but Cora, I I look past his flaws because the flaws are there definitely. Like it is season three was unnecessary, and the rest of the show just doesn't flow well because they're kept being told, "Okay, guys, we're gonna make one season. Okay, we're giving you the money to make now another season, and just one more, no more. Okay, actually, we can do one more. You can do one more now." Like they they never could plan it out like the original show, um. But they truly went in and explored some new concepts, which I thought was really good of them, and especially some more darker concepts. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think I think that's what the benefit of those in between Dark Horse comics was that it helped bridge that gap. Which yeah. I mean, it's not enough content to make a full show from, but it's enough to make a really good comic series. See, of course. See, like like um. With but then here's the here's another here's one that's one successful like franchise that's been going on with the comics and stuff. But then there are others that there are um like with games with games tying in with comics, the Assassin's Creed comics for example. Like most of them are just like okay, we're just gonna fill a little detail there and a little detail from uh, from from there as well. Like I think it's the love, and I think that's the the big one. Um, if a company buys a license write Predator, to write Aliens, to write Avatar, to write whatever. You've got to put somebody there who's in it for the love, who actually loves the franchise. And I think where a lot of things get caught, and I think that's where there's a lot of anger, even in the Marvel DC universe right now, where there are certain writers out there who, when if you read their work, and I do read quite a lot of these works, you can tell they don't love the character. Or they don't understand the character. They've got this really cool license to work with, and they butcher it. They absolutely. Um, I'll give the one that really ended it for me. For um, J. Michael Straczynski is one of my absolute favorite writers. He did Babylon Five. If you ever watched it, uh, it's one of the most well thought out sci-fi series that I can think of. I absolutely loved it. They got him to do the Spider-Man run. And he did a huge run on Spider-Man where it was the, I look, I consider it one of the best Spider-Man runs because he dealt with, um, if you ever watch read Spider-Man, a lot of his villains are animal related. There's Rhino, Vulture, whatever. And he yeah. digs deep into that whole mythology of how come half of Scorpion, how come half of Spider-Man villains are animal related? And it digs into that. And even Craven the Hunter, you know, why do you have a hunter hunting, you know, a spider, you know, hunting animals? And it digs into that. Uh, Peter Parker becomes a teacher, which I thought was a, it was a fantastic storyline. But what, hap- what happened then was an editorial decision came through, basically saying to J. Michael Straczynski, we don't like this Peter where he, he's an adult, where he's happy with Mary Jane. We don't want that. 
we want Peter to be this young, carefree guy dating a new girl every couple of ep- episodes. And so, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. And so, what Peter did was he then made a deal with the devil, the Marvel devil, Mephisto, basically annul the marriage, put his memory, wipe everybody's head, and then restart. Restart again, and he starts dating. He's young again. He's dating models. He's dating whatever. And Mary Jane is now just a friend. A friend he. So saying that though, that type of decision kills the character. And you had this character that is beloved. You had the run that's beloved. Like if you ever go on, you know, check out the best Spider-Man runs, it's his run always pops up, except for the ending, because his ending was an editorial decision. And how that ties back into the original question was, a lot of these licenses, if you get somebody who loves the, the license, who loves the characters, who loves everything through, you get really good stories. The moment you start just milking a license to put a story out, you know, you kill it. Imagine a predator story or an alien story where, you know what, they decide to bake a cake or something, you know, silly. You're going, man, that destroys the core character. You just predators hunt, predators kill other things, you know. You're making one a pacemaker, nah, not interested. You've got to love the character, you've got to love the franchise. And I think that's where 2770, uh, when the new Cyberpunk game comes out, if you get a writer who loves, who absolutely loves the game, um, a good example would be, say, Witcher, the, the latest, the, uh, Henry Cavill, if I remember right. He loved the game. And if you ever watch the Netflix series, you can tell how much fun he's having being the Witcher, being Geralt. Yep, even that bathtub scene, and when you see it yeah. live action and compare it to the game, it's like, wow, the illusion is perfect. But you can see Henry, the the actor, because he's played the key. He he really admits he's played the game like ten times over. You can see him actually enjoying himself. You can see it's it's you know. The Witcher, it's B grade, it's cheesy, but god damn it, it's so fun because the character has so much fun in it. Um, anyway, so for the, in the interest of time, we need we, we should go, we should move on. Um, so final thoughts before we move on, would you, would you, yeah, guys... can't wait for it. Can't wait for it, you, Professor? Yeah, it would be, I also would be interested to know how much it ties into the uh, the plot of the game. Is it a standalone story or is it a prequel? Like, is it going um, to become prequel or um, follow up? From what I'm seeing, it sounds like a standalone. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like a standalone game. Like, I don't think it will affect V's progress or anything like that. Like, uh, and so the first issue of it will be released on September the 9th. So, well, so it's like start saving money. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, so Stephen, you're going to get the game or, or get, get the comic or? I'll, I'll, I'll definitely check it out. Um, I'm, I've got all digital with comics nowadays because I've got an iPad. I just buy from Comicsology when there's the sales <laughs> on. Or, or I buy the Humble Bundles where they, they send you, sell you 100 issues for like five bucks. I just wait for those. Oh, yeah. And I'm oh, just yeah, waiting for are... that to come through. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, anyway, so, um, so moving on. Uh, Devi Boy, what have you been playing this week? So I've been playing... Sorry, I don't think anyone here has ever heard of. It's called Raze 2. It is a Flash game from oh, the very early 2010s. It is a, so it's a, it's a sequel to the original game, which was called Raze. And it's a platform shooter. It's, a, it's an arena shooter. It's a 2D side-scroller. But it's not side-scrolling. It's, a, it's arena. So it's, it's, it's a combination of genres. 
But it's just such much fun. It's a nostalgia wave because I played it when I was a kid. That's why I've gone back and played it. But yeah, it's a, basically you are a raised soldier and that is in your name. You were created for the raised task force. And it was your job to raise out an alien invasion that was coming. It is edgy as hell and I love it. it that was coming to destroy the world. Um, your last survivor. And of course, there's a zombie virus. It's taken over your body. And if you don't complete your story within 12 hours, your body is going to be infected and then you'll die. So you've got a, it's it's a very basic plot, but it's enough to get into the gameplay, which is really the heart of the game, where it's basically you've just got to jump around constantly and fight AI bots. You have actually some really advanced AI for a Flash game. It's very difficult. Um, not in the sense of it being bad, but like, they can flank you and stuff, and you basically pick up weapons and you get upgrades and the usual lot. And uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. So, what's your uh, biggest flaw in that game? Uh, the biggest flaw would be probably from a design standpoint. It's it has a very very crazy difficulty spike around the eighth episode, which basically is the eighth level. Um, this suddenly gets really difficult for no apparent reason. And also, mines, goddamn mines, because this is power up you can get where you can drop mines on the floor on the eighth eighth level they give the aliens the ability to drop mines so you're running around there's literally five thousand mines across the well not five thousand but like eight mines across the floor and you can't jump over them because you're just gonna land to another mine so you just gotta take the damage and it is the most painful thing ever because you can't shoot them and make them blow up they're just there <laughs> uh, so how many nerdy beanies would you give this game out of out of five <sighs> probably three to be honest, it, it, it has, going back and um, playing it, it has destroyed some of my nostalgia for it, unfortunately. It's, uh, it's been, but it's still, it's still fun. It's just still a fun romp to just jump into. So I'll definitely recommend it. Uh, so, Professor, what have you been playing? I've been playing Star Realms. It's a uh, deck-building sci-fi card game. The basic idea is you start with a very limited deck of just a handful of cards and you build up your deck and get to choose what's in your your deck by playing and earning uh, trade points. And the goal is to deplete your opponent's health pool, as is typical in card games. So what's the biggest flaw you've encountered on that game, uh, Professor? Well, yeah, I think the, the flaws in it are that the campaign isn't particularly good. It's got a campaign mode, which is basically just play with challenges. And I'm getting into it, and it's... A good way to learn what the cards do but there's also um I, it just doesn't play as a, a fun campaign any more than playing say a random match would okay there must be a high there must be a high player base in uh for star realms is there or yeah it's decently big so uh how many nerdy beanies would you give that game out of i'd uh, give it um uh, 3.75 uh, out of five Wow, that's wow, that's that's a that's pretty accurate. Okay. Yep. So, according to Steam charts for people playing the digital version, there that's just on Steam though. You can get it cross-platform, but it has a twenty-four hour peak of one hundred and twenty-one players. So, since each round is only two people, it um shouldn't be too difficult to find a game. So, uh, Stephen, what have you been playing this week? Um, the only game I'm, I'm playing semi-religiously is Hearthstone, and <laughs> that's a uh, uh, mainly because it's you get five minutes here and there. It's really nice just to burn five minutes of time. And if you're talking microtransactions in your earlier discussion, Hearthstone is the 
man, they, they know how to milk microtransactions. <laughs> <laughs> so what are the other biggest flaws you've encountered in Hearthstone besides the microtransactions? No, I think it's actually a really well-balanced game. Like, um, look, I used to play Magic um, quite a bit. I, man, I'll, I'll give my... Uh, I used to even be a Magic judge, you know? So, uh, I, look, I, I love this. It's, it's pretty well-balanced. They do nerf cards every once in a while. And that's probably the one thing which I don't like about most of these games is when they come into balance. Oh, yeah. um, mainly because they... People get invested in certain things. Like if you like a certain character, like I'm thinking like Overwatch or something, where you get to like a certain character or you get to like a certain style of play and they decide it's not, it's not fun for everybody, we're going to nerf it. You do put people off because, you man, I, I enjoy playing it that way. And you just take, you took someone's fun away. And I, that's probably my biggest gripe about when they balance games up. Because, man, I want to play games which are unbalanced and have some fun with it. You know, it's nice to be OP once in a while. <laughs> so uh, how many nerdy beanies out of five would you give that would you give hearthstone oh man i, I i've been played since i actually got it as soon as it came out on the iphone so the day it got released the day i installed it and uh how many can you give i've wasted hours and hours and hours on it so it's it'll get whatever stars it deser- it deserves <laughs> so f- so by your cal- by the calculations that i've that I com- calculated uh infinity yeah, oh look, that and Diablo. That's where my biggest time. That Diablo and Final Fantasy VII. Those are my three biggest well, time things in my life. If those three things didn't happen, I would have months, actually more years of my life back. I'll probably have two years of my life back if those three things didn't happen. Have you got the remake? I don't dare. I do not dare because uh, when Final Fantasy VII came out in high school, I wasted so many hours on it. I don't dare get the remake because I'm gonna waste it. I'll probably waste the same amount of time, and I just don't get that. <laughs> it's like no, but the oh. temptation. <laughs> I, I know. I look. I see some. I seen the screenshots. I've seen the graphics. I'm going, man, that looks good. But no, not touching it. Not touching <laughs> it. Will not touch it. Refuse to. It's like the forbidden fruit. <laughs> oh man, no, I I can't. I and I love stones that are killing my time. Diablo three killed so much of my time, so I I, I don't dare. Okay. So I'll get so five out of five then for the yeah. uh, so um anyways uh moving along. So for our shout outs this week. A second, let me see where there's the shout outs. We've got so many shout outs, it's amazing how what what we can do to people. Yeah. So on the twentieth of June twenty twenty, Aya and the Witch. So official stills from Studio Ghibli's first fully CG film are released. So this is the long form. So Studio Ghibli is doing a long form adaptation of Diane Wynn's no- um, novel *Earwig and the Witch*. Uh, so it's titled *Aya to Majo, um, which is *Aya and the Witch*, the, which the movie will air in NHK in Japan this winter. So the story is: Earwig is an orphan girl who lived in um, Saint Morwald's home for children ever since she was a baby, but all of that changes the day she was adopted by a mysterious woman named Bella Yaga who turns out to be a terrible witch and brings Earwig to live in her home of supernatural trinkets. With the help from a talking cat, Earwig must use her wits to survive in her new magical surroundings. The careful, the colorful ch- carousel of images sees a digression from the traditional hand-drawn animation that Studio Ghibli is well known for. 
Instead, this feature has opted for a new kind of art style with an entirely 3D-generated story that centers around Earwig, the young girl with a broomstick. Um, Hayao Mizaki is overseeing the adaptations, planning with while his son Goro, who helped helmed up um, helmed from up on Poppy Hill, is directing. Toshio Suzuki is producing, and I've seen the images. They are very amazing. Um, on the 21st of June, 2020, Lilo and Stitch turns 18. So, uh, 18 years ago, Lilo and Stitch hit its theaters, spawning a franchise still beloved by Disney fans all these years later. After grossing $273.1 million at the box office for Walt Disney Animation, the fan-favorite animated feature went on to introduce three, three more movies and a TV series. A year after its release, the Stitch-centric Stitch, the... The movie hits theaters, and two years after that, Lilo and Stitch 2, Stitch has a glitch, that made its way to the masses. The franchise then ended with Lilo and Stitch, uh, Leroy and Stitch, and Lilo and Stitch the series both set sail in 2006. More recently, however, new reports have surfaced that, that say Disney Plus is now developing a hybrid live-action CGI remake for the platform. Uh, I take it uh, uh, you're not going to like it? Uh, why? <laughs> why? Why? So, why? <laughs> why? 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 Every boy just died. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, prior to any so prior to any coronavirus shutdown, and the uh, film was reported to start production later this year. No further information has been released about this project as of now. <laughs> uh okay and so moving along 22nd of june 2020 kurt cobain's mtv unplugged guitar sells to australian for record nine million so an australian millionaire ho- uh, millionaire businessman hopes his purchase of music icon kurt cobain's acoustic guitar could help boost the struggling global in- music industry the 1959 martin d18e guitar was played by Cobain during his 1993 MTV Unplugged performance in New York. It now holds the record for being the most expensive guitar in the world after being purchased by the founder of Rode Microphones, Peter Friedman, for $6 million, which is $8.8 million Australian. Uh, Mr. Friedman plans to display the guitar on a worldwide tour, the proceeds of which will go back to the performing arts sector. I did it to highlight the massive crisis in the arts, he told ABC Radio Brisbane. I've got the attention of the government. I've got the attention of everyone asking me why why I did it. Musos and entertainers get nothing. It's as though they don't exist, he said. His main motivation is to lobby on behalf of the musicians in countries like Germany, the UK, and Australia. The money that comes from it might not be much, but it's a focus on government, and the effects of, the, of this will last forever if I do it right, Mr. F- uh, Mr. Friedman said. It's not the money we need, it's the people, the support. It's a good message. Um, on the 23rd of June 2020, Joel Schumacher passes away at 80. The man behind the flamboyant reinvention of Hollywood's Batman franchise, Joel Schumacher, has died. From a job dressing department um, stored with windows to costume design for Woody Allen's 1970s movies, Interior and Sleep, Interiors and Sleeper, the New Yorker made his mark on the big screen in 1985 with the coming-of-age movie St. Elmo's Fire. That project launched the careers of the Brat Pack, Rob Lowe, Demi Moore, Emilio Estevez, and Ali Sheedy, and had the movie industry clamoring for more of Schumacher's brilliance. 
The Lost Boys, Flatliners, John Grisham's adaptations, The Client and The Time to Kill, and the critically acclaimed Falling Down followed. Audiences loved Schumacher's overly dramatic and exuberant Batman Forever in 1995, but panned its follow-up, Batman and Robin, in 1997. Um, after the Batman films, uh, Schumacher pulled back from blockbusters and returned to making minimalist films such as Tigerland and Phone Booth, both earning positive reviews. He also directed The Phantom of the Opera, the number 23, and two episodes of House of Cards. He died from cancer in New York City, and and his name will be synonymous in memes for the for the creative thing known as bat nipples. Yeah, I desperately hope Robert Pattinson doesn't have them. <laughs> you know the story, right, um, Stephen? Yeah, I know. I've I've seen the movies. <laughs> so. The costume design, you must have just went, what the hell is that? Well, look, if you remember, not just that, they had bat visa, you know? I always... <laughs> You know, that, oh, it was, oh, man. <laughs> look, I, I love the new Batman movies. And look, the Robert Patterson one, actually, it's they're trying to adapt uh, Batman Year One. So if you, if you get to read that one, that series, it, if, they, if they do it justice, man, it's going to be an amazing Batman. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the, the screen, the shots you've seen, uh, look, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm quietly optimistic. It's going to be nice. The Batmobile looks really cool. Mm. Uh, so on the 24th of June, 2020, Segway ends production. So the Segway is ending production of its namesake vehicle, the two-wheeled tr- personal transporter, which the company boldly claimed would revolutionize the way people got around, will be retired on July 15th. While used by tourists and some police forces, the vehicle also known for high-profile crashes. It even resulted in the death of a former Segway company president, which drove one off a cliff in 2009. Uh, (coughs) (laughs) I don't know whether that's well-timed or... No, actually, I thought I was muted. (laughs) I am absolutely disappointed in this. Because just as I'm looking into maybe getting an electric bike to take to work, they cancel the Segway. <laughs> How am I supposed to be completely bloody dorky on my way to work now? <laughs> well, you can always get that hover uh, uh, that, that um hoverboard. Yeah, those are too childish, <laughs> and they're not even real hoverboards. I know, but the uh, the memes are hilarious though. Hey, hey, hey. they're hovering when the banner explodes. <laughs> Like there was such a there was such a craze, <laughs> so yeah, so the tr- so the original price for a Segway was five thousand dollars, which was a hurdle for many customers. It was a challenge to ride because the rider had to control had to um wait a second had had to be balanced at a specific angle for the vehicle to move forward. If the rider's weight shifted too much in either direction, it would spin out of control and throw the rider off. This was banned in some countries because riders could because users could easily lose control if they were not balanced properly. In 2017, Segway got into the scooter business just as the light, inexpensive, and easy to ride two wheelers took over urban streets. It came after decades of high profile falls, viral videos, and even the death of yeah, death of the former company founder. Okay. Why are people saying that's so hard? Because I've been to a museum once, a science museum, years ago now. Uh Kind of been too long after segways became a thing, and they had a segway obstacle course, and it wasn't <laughs> that hard to ride. Are you serious? Yeah. 
Uh, I, I think it's just because of the fall. Like I said, like they said, the falls. <laughs> How many people will fall off from them? Stay safe. Wear your helmet. <laughs> now, I think I, I, looks like I'm gonna take off the bucket. Take that one off the bucket list now. The ride the segue. So on the uh, 23rd of 23rd of June 2020, Deus Ex turns 20. So uh, if a game came out today that depicted the world ravaged by a viral ap- outbreak, dehumanized by capitalism in the throes of mass public riots, gripped by anti-government sentiment and witnessing the progressive breakdown of American society amid the release of China as an autonomous superpower, you might think it is too too on the nose. 20 years, however, it simply it was simply the setting of a radical and somehow prophetic video game called Deus Ex. Keep in mind, in Deus Ex, they didn't include the uh, the Twin Towers, the World Trade oh. Center. And they said in the plot, it was taken out by a terrorist attack. <laughs> now, the reason they didn't include it was probably because the computers couldn't handle it. That was my reason, a, yeah. Yeah, a very on-the-nose uh, <laughs> explanation. Oopsies. <laughs> Oh, it uh, sprawled. Uh, it sprawled world with its sprawling world with dense with philosophical questions, conflicted morality, deep characters, and all the ingredients that would make an instant classic. Its character customization pro customization system and resulting player freedom is still imi- imitated today. Its success spawned a lukewarm sequel in the two thousand three with Invisible War, and then successful revival with the prequel Human Revolution and its own sequel in 2016, Mankind Divided. Its original game is fondly remembered in the PC gaming communities with the meme, every time you mention it, someone will install it. And seven years after its release, Deus Ex served as the basis for one of the most impressive mods of its generation known as the Nameless Mod. So uh, have you tried that before, um, Professor? No, I haven't. I actually haven't played Deus Ex. Ah, yeah, so, it's one that I keep meaning to get around to, but it's passed me by so far. Fair enough. Steven, you played it? Uh, no, I haven't. Fair enough. Uh, so reflecting on the original Deus Ex, uh, revered place in PC gaming history, Scott Martin, one of the three programmers, um, said, I feel honored and privileged to have worked on the game, he said, and happy that so many people still remember it fondly after all this time. So, onto our remembrances. 22nd of June, 1965, David O. Selznick. So, he's an American film producer, uh, screenwriter, and film executive. He was best known for producing Gone with the Wind and Rebecca. Um, he started working in the RKO Productions, RKO under the head of production tag. And he he worked also as an independent um, filmmaker. So, he started his own co- um, company known as Selznick International Productions. And with that, he created films such as A Star is Born, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, and Gone with the Wind, which is the highest grossing film of all time to this day. And has won eight Oscars and two special awards. And his second film, which he won another Oscar for, was uh, Rebecca, which was produced by Alfred Hitchcock. And Selznick had brought Hitchcock over from England, launching the director's American career. Rebecca was Hitchcock's only film to win a Best Picture. And Gone with the Wind overshadowed the rest of his Selznick career, so he was com- later he was convinced that he wasted his life trying to outdo it. The closest he got to it was Duel in the Sun, and this film was a huge success. Um, so successful, in fact, it was the second highest grossing film of 1947, 
and was the first film that Martin Scorsese saw, inspiring Scorsese's own directorial career. He died of a heart attack at age 63 in Hollywood, California. On the 22nd of June, 1969, Judy Garland, uh, born Frances Ethel Gum, this American, um, American actress, singer, and dancer, had a career that spanned 45 years um, and attained international stardom as an actress in both musical and dramatic roles as a recording artist and on concert stage. Uh, she's famous for playing Dorothy Gale in The Wizard of Oz, and she was frequent on-screen part with uh, Mickey Rooney, Gene Kelly, and um, although her film career was intermittent thereafter, two of her most critically acclaimed performances came later in her career, which she uh, was received an Academy Award nomination for her performance in the 1954 film, also known as A Star is Born, and a nomination for Best Supporting Actress in Judgment at Nuremberg. Uh, at the age of 39, she became the youngest female recipient for the Cecil DeMille um, Award for the Lifetime Achievement in the Film Industry. And in 1997, she, got, she was given a posthumous award for the, Grammy Life, for the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. And so she died from barbiturate um, overdose at the age of 47 in London. Oh, and interestingly, she was placed among the 10 greatest female cl- stars of classic American cinema. On the 22nd of June, 1990, Ilya Frank, uh, Ilya Mikhailovich Frank, I think that's how I pronounced it, uh, Soviet winner of the Nobel Pro- Prize for Physics in 1958, joined with Pavel Alexeyevich Cherenkov and Igor Y. Tam, also of the Soviet Union. Uh, he received the award for his work in explaining the phenomenon Cherenkov radiation. So uh, he started working on nuclear physics, a new field that was for him, and he became interested in the effect uh, discovered by Pavlov Cherenkov that charged particles moving through water at high speeds emit light. Uh, together with Igor Tam, he developed a theoretical experiment that effect where charged particles would run through an optical trans- transparent medium at speeds greater than the speed of light in the medium, causing a shock wave in the electromagnetic field. The discovery and explanation of the effect resulted in the development of new methods for detecting and measuring the velocity of high-speed nuclear particles and became of great importance for research in nuclear physics. Uh, He died at the age of 81 in Moscow. You love the Cherenkov um, radiation, by the way, don't you, Professor? I do. It's so pretty and blue. (laughs) And deadly, but pretty. So, uh, famous birthdays. On the 22nd of June, 1834, William Chester Minor, he, also known as W.C. Minor, he's an American surgeon and one of the largest contributors of quotations to the Oxford English Dictionary. He was held in the psychiatric hospital from 1872 to 1910 after he murdered George Merritt. It was probably uh, through his correspondence with the London booksellers that he heard of call for volunteers to become the, Ox- to become the Oxford English Dictionary. And he devoted most of his uh, remainder of his life to to the work. Um, he was often visited by the widow of the man that he killed, and she provided him with further books. The compilers of the dictionary read a list of words for which they wanted examples of usage. Uh, it was many years before the Oxford in- English Dictionary's editor, Dr. James Murray, learned Miner's background history and visited him in January 1981. In 1899, P- Murray paid compliment to Miner's enormous contribution to the dictionary, stating. We could easily illustrate the last four centuries from his quotations alone. He was born in Ceylon, which is now known as Sri Lanka. Um, on the 22nd of June, 1898, Henrik Maria, Maria um born Henrik Paul Remarque, a 22nd German novelist, his landmark novel, All Quiet on the Western Front, about the German military experience in World War One, 
was the international bestseller, which created a new literary genre and subsequently made into a film, All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, Remark was, oh, sorry, I'm just going to say, on the publication of it, it became the international bestseller and a landmark work in the 20th century literature. Uh, Remark continued to write about the German experience after World War I. His next novel, Three Comrades, spans the years of the Weimar Republic from the hyperinflation of 1923 to the end of the decade. Uh, his next work, the, uh, the, Arc of the Arc of Triumph, was the first published in 1945 in English, and the next year as Arc de Triumph, oh, in German as Arc de Triumph, it, the ne- and his final novel, Shadows in Paradise, was published as well. He was born in Osnabrück, German Empire. Um, and on the 22nd of Jan- June, 1899, Richard Gurley Drew, he was the guy who invented sellotape, and his first invention, which was an adhesive along its edges, but not its middle, uh, on its first run, it fell off the car and f- the frustrated auto painter growled at Drew saying, take this back to the, the Scotch bosses of yours and tell them to put more adhesive on it. By Scotch, he meant cheap. The names st- stuck to both Drew's improved masking tape and to the 1930 invention, Scotch brand tape. It became so successful that this was the beginning of 3M's diversification of all manner of marketplaces and helped them flourish. He was born in St. Paul, Minnesota. On the 22nd of June, 1958, Bruce Campbell was born. Uh, Bruce Lorne Campbell, American actor, voice actor, producer. One of the best known roles of Ash, Ash Williams in San Remy's Evil Dead franchise, beginning with the 1978 short film Within the Woods. Uh, he started many budget cuts, uh, budget cult um, films such as Maniac Cop, Sundown, The Vampire and Retreat, and Baba Hotep. Um, he's also a voice actor in um, games and animation. And he's also a writer in which he started writing he wrote an autobiography called If Chins Could Kill, A Confession of a B-Movie Actor. Uh, he was born in Royal Oak, Michigan. And finally, on our events of interest, uh, 22nd of June, 1633, the Holy Office in Rome forces Galileo to recant his view that the sun, not the earth, is the center of the universe in the form he presented it after he did controversy. And, oh man, that was he was tortured while being um, interrogated. And he was found guilty with the three parts. Galileo was found vehemently suspected of heresy, namely for having the opinions that the sun lies motionless at the center and the earth is not the center. He was sentenced to a formal imprisonment at the pleasure of the Inquisition. And this was commuted to house arrest. And his offending dialogue was, ba- dialogue was banned and in action, not announced at the trial, publication of any, any of his works was forbidden, including any he might write in the future. On the 22nd of June, 1978, or oh, Stephen, you might like this one, uh, so end of the world uh, came into the theaters in Colombia. So on this day in 1978 in Colombia, end of the world served up w- yet one apocalyptic themed sci-fi thriller. It uh, featured um, Christopher Lee in a dual role and Sue Lyon. And here's the premise: after w- witnessing a man's death in a bizarre accident, Father P- Pogados goes out on a spiritual retreat where he encounters his alien double bent on world conquest. And for apparently for no apparent reason, the um the French distributors cut the movie down to an hour and fifteen minutes. So it's French the- for its French theoretical cut, theatrical cut. Uh, so Christopher Lee said that he was tricked into this, tricked into making into making this movie, um to the point where he, he thought that famous other famous actors would be involved. But it turned out it was a complete lie, and this film appropriately was called End of the World. 
And finally, on the 22nd of June, 1978, Charon, the first uh, Pluto satellite is to be discovered, was first seen at the United States Naval Observatory by James W. Christie. Uh, so he was be- he be- he's been examining highly magnified images of Pluto on photographic plates taken with the telescope two months prior. He noticed a slight elongation um, appeared periodically. So after, so after confirmation um, through searching through archives of Pluto's images taken years before, he's found out that he discovered, he found out that it was the first known moon of Pluto. And uh, the name initially was S1978P1, according to then recently instituted convention. But he, uh, Christie first suggested the name Charon as a scientifically sounding version of his white Charlene's nickname, Char. Well, isn't uh. that just the nicest thing? <laughs> like... Sweetie, I was going to get you flowers, but I got you a moon. <laughs> Happy anniversary, darling. I got you a moon. <laughs> oh, oh that, that'd be funny. So uh, anything else before we uh, wrap it up? Uh, I don't have anything to add. Apart from, yeah, I mean, what you what you just described there right now, Professor, was basically the ending of Despicable Me. <laughs> <laughs> great movie. Great movie. So, um... Anyway, so that's so that's it for tonight. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, iTunes, Spotify. That's not Um Stephen, where the where can they find you, Stephen? Stephen has let's chat. <laughs> oh, Stephen. Well, he did warn us this might happen. Yep. So mm-hmm. we'll uh, put in the links to his media. Oh, 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 oh. I'm back, back, he's back. Al- he's alive. He's alive. <laughs> no, my, my my internet's horrible here, so oh, I, I'm so still good. I'm still pre I'm still on ADSL, so. Oh, sickmate s i g m a t e studio one word dot com. Go there. All the links are there. You can find me through Facebook. You can find me through anywhere, really. I'm if you you're looking, I'm pretty easy to find. And we can also find your stuff on comics to movies as well. Yeah. Um. So just just uh, so I've with I've collab comics to movies is still Sean's, but we've collaborated on uh, one series together, which is uh, Terra Lumpus. So yeah, if you can, all my stuff is with Sean as well, and uh, you should be coming to the, his website as well. Okay. Cool. Cool. Awesome. So um. Yeah. So. Take care of each other, look after yourselves, and stay hydrated. See you guys. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay, bye. See ya. See you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.